0: Even long weekends are short, so why spend a second of this one on a drink run? Instead, get drinks delivered right to your door with Drizzly. Drizzly is the easiest way to find the best prices on beer, wine, and spirits, so you can get back to lighting those totally legal fireworks. Download the app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y ycom today. Because the long weekend will be over before this ad is. Must be 21+, plus. not available in all locations. For the Millers, movie nights were once tradition. Now Sarah could hardly get through the opening credits, not on that old couch. But one day while shopping on QVC.com, she learned Lazy Boy recliners had slimmed down a bit. And in just a few clicks, Sarah got her Lazy Boy chair and a popcorn maker and a soundbar by Bose. And with one quick trip to QVC.com, movie night and Sarah's back were saved. Shop QVC.com slash podcast and use code QVC20podcast for $20 off $40 for new customers. This is Shopping Brought to Life.
1: What's up, everyone? This is part three of Queer Theology. Does that kind of rhyme? Wow, it does. Hmm. Brian, Shea, if you for listening. That's my limerick, not yours, for the record. Anyway, welcome back, friends. Um, if you have not been listening recently, we are in the middle. Well, now we're at the end of a three-part series with Brian and Shay from, uh, from Queer Theology. So we listened to Brian's story first, then Shay's story. And today we're going to talk about what is queer theology and why does it matter and what can it teach white cisgendered straight men like me. And it turns out it could teach me a lot. So I really enjoyed having both Brian and Shay on to share their perspectives. And again, this is just a great um, a great time learning. There's so much to learn. The Christian faith is so deep. It's so wide. And stuff like this reminds me of that. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, thank you to everyone who continues to share the podcast. If you like this episode and you want to share it, that would be awesome. It would be so helpful. If you want to give us a rating, that would be so helpful. And of course, if you want to donate to the work that we do, you can click on the link in our show notes to get more involved and to find out more about projects that we are currently trying to fund for this community. All right, friends, here is my third and final episode with Brian and Shay from Queer Theology. Alright. Session three. This has been a marathon. Thanks for hanging in there, Shay and Brian. Um, (laughs) Let me just say this again. I'm sure I will say it in the intro, but if you have not listened to the first two parts of this, you should go back. And listen to it, so you kind of have some context. Where we dug into Brian's story, into Shay's story, into the um, old Catholic tradition that Shay's a part of, and I I don't want to rehash that stuff. It's already out there. So we're going to assume that our listeners have listened to part one, to part two, and now we're going to dig into part three. So yeah, so if you're listening to this and have listened to those two parts, go back and check them out. Listen to them at 1.5 speed. You'll get through them quickly, but you want to know what's <laughs> going on. So. All right, that being said, friends, thanks for coming back on. I want to hop right into it. You know, you started queertheology.com, I think is the website. What I know you you both you both have kind of hinted that you've met in in some kind of way. How did you actually meet? Was it at school? Did you guys hit it off right away? Like like what did that look like?
2: We have different stories.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Perfect.
2: <laughs> so I Oh, go ahead. okay i remember meeting brian in brian's apartment um before that sermon uh because i was hanging out with with our mutual friend micah uh but but really it was the it was kind of we met at that church service we kind of hit it off but really didn't become friends until after I had moved to Minnesota Um, and something we first started we were like this is when Google chat was a thing we were like chatting once a week and then it was every day and then it was every day and a Skype call every week (laughs) and it was on one of those fateful Skype calls uh, that I remember saying to Brian does anyone own queertheology.com and He was like, no, I was like, we should buy that. (laughs) And so we did um, and kind of sat on it for a while, but the larger conversation. So this is, you know, 2009 um, that, that we're starting to become friends and to have these conversations. This is the height of the emergent church movement. Mm, Brian McLaren. Okay. uh, For those that might be familiar
1: it all right.
2: Does. Uh, does. So Brian McLaren was
1: oh, you know, I lo- uh, Jay I, I Baker. Love oh yeah Jay Baker yep you did Ooh, we'll talk offline I have questions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we were seeing all of these conversations about gay people, um, mm. all of these conversations about queerness in the church, but like no queer folks were ever being asked to talk. Uh, And we really thought like, okay, so like two things are happening. One, we need to be able to tell, tell our own stories. And two, like, if we are, if we can't ever get past the clapper passages, we're never going to move anything forward. we have to be able to um, have a different conversation. And we think that there might be a better way to start that conversation than to even start with the clapper passages. So that was kind of the, the nugget behind starting queertheology.com. I think I we
1: think lost Brian. We just lost Brian. He was so offended by your story that <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well before
2: Brian until Brian comes back, I will also say the other piece of this is that, you know, I we had we had known about queer theology as an academic discipline and yeah. found a lot of really beautiful stuff in it. Uh, but if you are not in the academy, it's, queer theology is tough to read, right? It's, it's very academic. And so we thought like there has to be a way to like, bring the best of that thought um, and, and, and allow it to influence in a way that is accessible to folks outside of the academy
1: well maybe that's a good starting point um i'll tell you what why don't we pause here for a second and see what happened to brian and i can edit this part out so don't worry about that
2: yeah <laughs> um
1: hopefully brian, hopefully brian's okay <laughs> we'll give him a minute to hop back on so my guess is his computer went completely no worries my wife's asleep so i'm, I'm <laughs> totally fine on my end yeah, i'm in no rush do you do uh, queer theology full time or or do you also get paid as uh, are you, is it is it a priest in the old Catholic tradition? Like what's the actual title?
2: It is a priest. Um, okay And no, so I would say very, very few old Catholic clergy make any money at all. Almost all uh-huh. of them are dual income, tent making. They do it yeah, on yeah. the side. Um, there are a couple I think there are a couple priests whose congregations are large enough to, to sustain. Um, uh, Brian's internet went out and he is restarting his router. No worries. Um, no, so I, I, I actually left, I, I had been working full-time as director of faith formation at a Lutheran church, um, doing, you know, education for babies through senior citizens. I left that in May to focus both more on queer theology and also, um, creative work, but that is. Core theology is is not uh, paying all of my bills. <laughs> we'll, yeah. just, we'll just we say it that way. Um, you know, I'm living off of uh, off of some savings and stuff now.
1: Mm-hmm. I, 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 this work is not easy, frankly. It's not. If yeah, you're no. in the content creation world, it's. You know, I'm in a similar spot, you know, like New Evangelicals d- definitely subsidizes at this point and we want to get to that point where I can do it full, full time. But luckily, I-, I live in New Jersey and there's plenty of great cover bands that make a lot of money. So I play drums in a cover <laughs> nice. band on the weekend. So it works out, you know, nice. but, but yeah, no, uh, I understand that.
2: I'm going to put an article in the chat about the church that I was talking about. Um Perfect. That's in New Jersey. It is, um, Oh, I don't know. George Lucy is the priest um that I was thinking about. He may have passed away after this article, but their their church is actually um Kearney and Long Branch.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. And also it looks like there's one in Glen Ridge. Is that what we're talking about? Possibly. It says walk it in the article. I'm looking I'm reading it right now. Uh is, is it Oh yeah, read? yeah. So Glen Ridge, G-Race? I think, is the one that I was talking about. Okay.
2: Interesting. Um, so okay. this, I mean, this article was, oh, a couple years ago. Not not too long ago.
1: Well, it's good to know, though. I, I, this is really helpful. So I do want to ask you, while that, you brought up a good question, Shay, uh, that, that uh, well, you brought up a good comment that sparked my question. Maybe we should def- we should break down what is queer theology? Okay, Can we, maybe, let, why don't we start there? Because to me, not knowing much about it at all, I'm like, is it the study of the defense of why you know being queer is totally okay biblically, or is it deeper than that? Like, help us out here.
2: Yeah, so queer theology uh, came from an academic. Discipline. It is not about the defense of if it's okay to be gay. Um, That is actually not a part of queer theology at all, really. Uh, Queer theology is really looking at how might we read scripture from a queer perspective? How might we, um, to use queer as a verb, queer scripture? How might we understand the divine? Um, better and more by looking at queerness. And so it, it like takes off of queer theory, uh, pulls in from theology. So as you can see, it's, it's very complex and it's often it's very dense. Marcella Althas-Reed is kind of um, the foremother of, of queer theology. Her book, The Queer God, is so beautiful and so hard to read. Um, But it's like these nuggets, but you gotta like really push through to get the nuggets. Um, If folks are really interested from an academics standpoint in a more accessible, Reverend Dr. Patrick Chang wrote a book called Radical Love that is a great 101 uh, overview of both the history of queer theology and also brings in uh, some of the major kind of themes that have been talked about over the
1: years. Okay, that's helpful because I've never heard the term "queer" used as a verb. What does it mean to queer the Bible? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't get too far in the weeds, but can you maybe just break down a little bit about like what does it actually mean to do? Yeah, so um,
2: I'm actually just gonna kind of bastardize a quote of Dr. Patrick Chang's because it's like okay. one of our, I think, founding quotes. Uh, he talks about the the second meaning of the word "queer" is to use it as a verb to really um highlight voices that have been silenced discarded or ignored uh to use it in the uh. subversive traditions of like the court jester or mardi gras to kind of call into question who has authority and power um he says this much more eloquently but it's it's really about sure. not just like i don't know doing theology or reading the stories but really Um, putting the stories into action and seeing how queerness can, can help us to open up new understandings, not only of scripture, but also of ourselves. Um, And that, that leads us towards justice and towards rupturing binaries and towards um, more nuanced understandings of the divine and sexuality and human relationships and all good things.
1: Okay. So it, it's way bigger than just maybe the common use of the word queer, like, like the queer community. It's it's yes. bigger than that in, in this case.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Wow. Okay, man. Now I'm really interested. <laughs> yeah. it just, it, I can it, give it, it, a, I can give a, yeah. I can give like a quick example if that would be helpful. Yes, please, Brian. That'd
3: be great. So I think we've all like heard the story of like Palm Sunday, right? Jesus yes. entering to Jerusalem on a donkey it's like very sterile at church. You wave your palm branches. There's kids. There's hymns. Very cute, right? Right. Set that off to the side. Years like years ago, I was watching this documentary called "How to Survive a Plague" about the AIDS crisis and early AIDS activism. And there's this yeah. scene where, in I forget the exact the exact year, like early '90s, they organized this march from the AIDS Quilt, which is this very like at this point huge sprawling display AIDS memorial people have died because of HIV AIDS, but also like very serene. And so a bunch of AIDS activists got together and they marched from the display at the, at the, at the mall to the white house front gates. Um, Many of them were carrying ashes of loved ones who had died of AIDS and they marched and they chanted like shame and they got there. And there's this really evocative news footage of people living with HIV AIDS casting the ashes of their loved ones onto the white house lawn saying like the names of the people who have died, remembering them crying. Um, And I remember watching that and then like being completely transfixed. But I don't know if you can tell I'm like getting a little emotional, just talking about it.
1: No, for sure. And
3: then the next Palm Sunday rolls around and we're reading, I'm like reading the passage trying to figure like, what are we going to say about it? And I was like, Oh my God this is an act up demonstration. Jesus is like making a mockery out of the Roman empire, which has horses and chariots and legions. And if you know a little bit of like history and context, like coming and bringing armies and reinforcements to Jerusalem, the head of Passover to sort of like quell any uprisings that might spring up. And Jesus is like, I'm going to ride in on the back of a donkey on the other side of town. And it's the, like this like raucous thing. And it's like, Oh, like, When I can watch this news footage and Mm. see these like activists marching from the mall in DC to the front of the White House steps, like that is what it was like to be outside of Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. And now I understand Palm Sunday in a like much more like nuanced and visceral way. Mm. And so it like helped me understand that story better and access it and connect to it. Um, And then it also, I think like, and like sprinkles some like divine meaning onto queer actives. I'm mean, not that we need it. But I think it's totally all on its own, even if it's not reflected in the Bible. But it like right. reminds me that like we're part of this like ancient lineage of people that like resist the powers that be that keep us down. Mm-hmm. And we're not just sort of like struggling to survive, but we're quite like proud and defiant um, and not afraid to go toe to toe to the Roman mm-hmm. Empire or toe to toe. To like the uh, like the George H. W. Bush administration.
1: <laughs> no, thanks for sharing that, Brian. Yeah, it, it it sounds like the way I'm hearing it is it really seems to highlight the um the subversiveness, you know, of like the Bible and and these stories, like the Exodus story, is a great example, right, of yeah. a God who actually chooses a side the side of the oppressed and he ends up drowning the oppressor. Now I don't know how that works (laughs) out ethically. Okay. That's a different discussion, but like the story, the imagery of it is very distinct. Like this God does pick a side and guess what? It's not the side of the empire. And it seems like what you're saying is queer theology or at least one of its, you know, focuses is really highlighting how that's actually way more prevalent throughout scripture than we might think. And also how do we participate in that story in the here and now and how do how do we see ourselves kind of repeating that that christ act right of of being this person who's kind of giving the middle finger to rome and saying actually you know your your chariots are are no good here is that kind of the idea then of what you're talking about
3: yeah that's definitely part of it you know and this is a lot of the work that we do is sort of like telling our own queer stories and then through our like and like our yearly course queering the bible teaching folks how to tell their own stories because like there's some divine insight that every person has that, like that only you have or that only someone else has that like sure but like, we need <laughs> you to unlock that part of god and so we also do a lot of teaching people how to do this work for themselves so that they're not only just sort of like hearing our stories and being moved and inspired by them but also like finding their own voice um in the midst of all of that and so it, you know whether you're trans, polyamorous, asexual, um, bisexual, there's, I think, lots of different ways to approach the text, like the Bible, to approach ideas about God, Christian traditions, like what does it mean to look at XYZ from a trans perspective, from a bi perspective, from an East perspective. Marcel Althusser read is like, what if the Trinity is an orgy, right? Like, like, what does that do for our understandings of God? I was like, uh, what? That
1: is that is provocative. Yeah. <laughs> say <that> right
3: now,
1: <laughs> half my yeah. audience just stopped the car. I was like, what
3: the hell did he just say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: and okay. I think I
2: think that that is also it, it's it's also about the importance and the centering of bodies. Bodies, messy bodies, scarred bodies, sexy sexual bodies, um, and saying that like there is divinity there and that there is divinity when we come together um, sexually and in friendship and in all of the different ways. um, And that that also, the queerness of that and the ways that queer people form community and family and love and live into our bodies is also theological. So it's not just, it's it's both of those things, right? It's about justice, but it's also justice that is centered on bodies and centered on the most marginalized bodies, um, first and foremost.
1: Mm, that's very helpful. So you both start Queer Theology. You said 2013 was when you actually bought the domain, you sat on it, eventually you launched it. What was the initial response that you got once it was public?
3: Yeah. So we started by, we were like, lo- there's lots of bloggers, right? We, we don't, we don't want to be right. this is like, the, this was the, the era of bloggers, right? Oh
1: yeah. We, were I, like, I we don't
3: want to, <laughs> we don't want to be, this was like pre-Instagram, right? Totally. Pre-podcasts. Um, we we're like, we don't want to be bloggers. We really want to help specific people put this into action and like actually change their lives. Not just like passively read about it. Right. And so right. we, um, we decided we were like let's make a one-page website and we've got this idea for how to read the bible queerly um which is like our course that we now call queering the bible it was called something else back then so we were like this is what we're gonna do we're gonna like walk you through the ways in which christianity is, has always been queer we're gonna look at some queer themes in scripture and we're gonna like teach you how to like find your queer self in scripture and this was like we were gonna do it on google hangouts and back in the day there was only space for, like, I forget, it was 10 or 12 people on Google Hangouts. Like, it used to be limited. So, we're like, well, there's two of us, so we can have 10 people can join. <laughs> um, and so, like, 10 people signed up and really got a lot out of it. And so, we were like, okay, let's keep doing this. Mm. Um, so, we, like, recorded an evergreen version that people could do on their own. And Shay had the idea that at the time was inspired and now is, like, a lot of work to start out to start a weekly Bible podcast that follows the lectionary. So every week we give a queer take on one of the passages from the lectionary. Hmm. Um, So I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out, but we're in 2022, it's We're going to depart from the lectionary after, after eight years or nine following the lectionary. We've done it all the way through, I think three times now. So we're going to, the podcast is going to take a new turn in, in the new year. Um, so excited (laughs) yeah and so that's and we sort of were like very responsive to what more do people need so like you know we knew that like sex negativity and purity culture was a thing that not many folks were talking about so you know we collaborated with this this person to do an online webinar about purity culture like wait the no shame movement on twitter um was her name that she goes by um lola um talking about sex talking about bodies um and just sort of what do we need? What do we see our community needing? What is the sort of conversation that's happening that is working that we wanna elevate that's we're getting stuck in this stupid side A, side B Mm. (laughs) conversation. Like how do we not do that? Um, And so just kind of like kept growing and evolving and recognizing people need community. And so we started an online community to sort of walk with folks digitally. And this was pre pandemic. And so people were like, Slack? How do I use that or Zoom? Right, (laughs) Uh,
1: right. right. What is a Zoom?
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, just sort of like meeting folks where they are and um, sharing what we've been learning and telling our stories of faith and queerness in sort of new ways.
1: That's really great. I mean, I'm looking at your website now. It's really, you know, well put together. You have all kinds of Options, podcasts, resources, community, daily affirmations, courses, transgender. So you've obviously have developed it over the over the course of the years. It's a pretty robust website that offers a lot of uh, you know a lot of different options for people. I'm curious to know um, in your experience, how many people have you gotten over the years who have come from you know more of our background, right? This like. Fundamentalist reformed evangelical movement, and now have found themselves at your doorstep. Is that a common experience for you, or is it not so much? Oh yeah, okay. So, okay. Common. yeah. so common. Yeah,
2: I would say I don't know. I I I don't have exact numbers. I would say probably eighty sure. percent of our audience. Does that feel appropriate,
3: yeah. Brian? Like maybe, maybe seventy. 75? Like there's also people who grew up mainline or Catholic um, that are like coming out from the other angle. <laughs> sure. But a lot of a lot of folks that grew up some version, maybe not as. Fundamentalists as us, but some version of conservative Christianity, and are looking for new ways to understand Christianity as a whole to integrate their sexuality, their gender to support, you know, we have parents and grandparents, we're in the middle of a course on transgender theology. And there's these two grandparents who are like, we have a trans grandchild. And so we wanted to learn more, (laughs) you know, Isn't that Um, so
1: encouraging, though, when you have someone like that, you're like, oh, thank you. You give me hope. (laughs) Yeah.
3: So we've got, like, teenagers to grandparents and also, like, not just, like, straight grandparents, but, like, you know, queer folks that are in their 70s and 80s and still either coming out for the first time or they've been out for decades but are looking to sort of, like, enrich their lives and sort of integrate these even more tightly.
1: Mm. So let's kind of take a you know around a, um, a journey around the bend a little bit to the evangelical world for a minute and bring you yeah. guys back there for a few, if you don't mind, because it seems like um, for whatever reason and I have a lot of theories. I'm sure you have even more theories than I do. The evangelical church made a decision early on that they're really going to plant a flag on the issue and on the queer community. They're going to plant a flag early that says. Hell no, never, not gonna accept it. And you know, you label all, all fill in the blanks, right? I mean, we all know those pastors. We all know what Jerry Falwell was saying in the in the '80s about the AIDS crisis. I mean, it's documented and it's ugly. It's horrible. It's evil. It's vile. But for whatever reason, and again, we have theories, they did. why do you think that is, right? Because, I mean, the Bible talks on the surface about a lot of other things that are very blatantly, like, again, without any context, sinful, right? Like uh, greed, for example. I don't know. It's all over the fucking place. And for some reason, like, they love their capitalism. But when it comes to the issue of, of you know, sexuality, flag planted. Any theories?
2: Because it works.
1: Because it works.
2: It's a, It was a political movement right? It was a political decision to double down on uh, alienating queer folks. And it worked because people are terrified, um, because people are afraid of their own bodies and sexuality, Hmm. because when you um, talk about sexuality, you can control people. uh, Because it is very, very easy when a vast majority, I mean, back in the 70s, a vast majority of people didn't know that they knew anyone who was gay. You could say it's something out there. It will never touch us. So we can just vote against them. Um, And it worked and it it has, it has worked as a political voting block for decades. Um, And it seemed, I think to them probably like a victimless crime. I'm again, using air quotes for folks that are listening. Um, And, you know, and fear works. Uh, That is one thing that evangelicals have learned and they have stuck to it. That fear works
3: it's toxic but it works Hmm. Hmm. what do you think brian yeah i think i I think i would say all of that like especially the part about like most people thinking that they don't know someone queer and so like it doesn't affect in quotes like most people and so people like it's like you know everyone lives in the capitalist society. so like, we're all trying to figure out how to like get by. Some people like the leaders of the evangelical church are doing quite well for themselves financially. But yeah. like, you know, and, and it doesn't it doesn't cost most people an evangelicalism anything or so they think or so they thought um, mm-hmm. to sort of like be anti-queer. I think also just sort of more broadly why Sex negativity works for them and purity culture, because that that does affect everyone. Like, right? Like everyone involved in evangelicalism is harmed by by purity culture. But to Shay's point that when you have, when people are everyone, humans are sexual, the vast majority of humans are like sexual beings, right? And so when you like say these things that are part of your body are bad and you can't trust them. It is really festers shame. Right. And then when people are ashamed, they're easier to control and manipulate. And so it's a whole package, whether it's political, it's a political voting block, which evangelicalism was, or just sort of like the social power that comes from um, keeping yourselves in line, um, you know, socially, I think that, that, really works to scare people um and if you're alienated from your own body you know i think then you're alienated from from god really like we believe that like christians believe that like god is incarnate right. in jesus like that like bodies matter right, right? that like you actually right. don't have a disembodied divinity and so right. like if right. we can so if we can trust our bodies. is then like we, we don't need to trust Jerry Falwell or Pat Robertson or Bob <laughs> Jones or whoever it might be, because like we have some own of our, our own insight. And so it really keeps people, starts to keep people um, like disconnected from their own bodies. And I think like queerness in particular is like some of those like worst case scenarios, like most extreme scenarios. Um, and it's like, don't masturbate. Don't trust your, like, don't listen to your attractions because like you might end up like those dirty homosexuals, you know? Right. Um, and I think also just played on the culture at the time that like didn't know what, the, what was going on with with queer with queerness and these bodies. And so it was just sort of like, mm. there was an ick factor or an unknown factor mm. that really mm. was sort of able to be latched onto.
1: No, I think that's all really good. I think you brought up a really interesting point that I connected in my head as you were talking that... Christians believe in a, most Christians anyway, believe in a physical resurrection, a physical body, a restoration of all things. They believe that Jesus right now is somewhere in bodily form. Yet when it comes to trusting our bodies, you know, all of a sudden Gnosticism kicks in, right? It's like, well, no, your soul, your soul will float away somewhere else and your body, like it's evil. It's wicked. It's, it's shit. Just ignore it. But like, Christian theology historically, um, you know, most people in the faith, including Paul, right? He's pretty convinced, at least Paul is like, hey guys, there's something physical that's gonna happen. Yet we separate it. And I just never put I never put that together until you said it like that. Like, yeah, that's weird. That yeah. like that that people will say, No, no, no. I'm telling you, I know my body. This is what's going on, and I'm going to follow that. People go, no, 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 you just don't understand yourself. It's like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Back up.
0: (laughs) That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family.
1: Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap.
0: I like the sound of that.
1: Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Honestly, just a little bit of a mind blown moment (laughs) there. So, uh, wow, yeah. So, let me ask you this then: Um, Do you and you guys can be honest? I appreciate honesty. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to butter up anything for me. Is there any hope? For the evangelical community, especially when it comes to how they treat the queer community, I feel like in one way, and again, I could be totally off here, so just if I'm wrong, just tell me I'm an idiot, but I feel like in one way, maybe there's been like some progress of like, okay, we won't call them abominations anymore, but in another way, it's like, don't worry, we're secretly, we're never, ever, ever going to affirm this, because if we do, it's a false gospel and the whole thing falls apart. So I'm kind of like in this space where I'm like, well, the language is softer, but the actions really aren't, but what do you, what do you think about that?
3: I I have a deep, deep, deep soft spot in my heart for the communities that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. Um, Like my senior year of college, I randomly ran into one of my friends from youth group at the Long Beach Airport and we reconnected. And she's now like very liberal also and ordained, which our our church growing up would have never um, allowed. And we text often about like, Memories, and she actually she now lives in it's Washington State, and our youth pastor now lives near her, and so like they see each other somewhat regularly, and so we talk about like my youth, our, our youth pastor Dave, and like the, our friends growing up, and where they are at now, and I like so I really hold a soft spot in my heart for all of them, and I like my my hope is that like God's abundant love is strong enough to wear down even <laughs> even Dave's heart, and so I think that like the people that make up evangelicalism. I think no one is outside of God's love and reach. And I want them to experience the like all encompassing love of God. And I don't think that that is found inside the constructs of evangelicalism as Mm. both like a political moment and a religious construct, because like, it's like, I don't know, like, can you find God's love like inside of the Roman Empire? It's like, well, I think that like even Pontius Pilate could be redeemed, but like in order for that to happen, I think like Rome has to fall, (laughs) Right. you know, right? Right. Yeah. Um, And so like, I think that there's just big inherent in evangelicalism is, you know, this idea that you can only access God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your your Lord and Savior. Um, And lots of other stuff that sort of is baked into it that is like, you can't, it's not just that they don't accept queer people. That is a problem with evangelicalism. And I think, thank God that I'm queer because as a white man, like I could, have, I, I could be a youth pastor right now or work for young life or that there's like more problems just than that. Sure. And, you know, I, I also have like a soft spot on my heart for young life. And I know there's been some campaigns online about like do better young life and trying to like make young life more inclusive and like, Young Life is still a, like, imperialist project spreading a, like, toxic version of Christianity all over the world, even if yeah. they let gay people be leaders, right? And I say that right. as, like, someone who, like, went on a Young Life missions trip, right? Sure. And sure. my mom worked for them, and I, like, have lots of really amazing memories of Young Life. Yeah, And sure. also, it's, like, trying to pour, like, new wine into old wine skins. It just, doesn't, hmm. it just doesn't work.
1: Yeah, fair point. What do you think, Shay?
2: I'll be even more uh, blunt than Brian. I think evangelical theology is toxic from stem to stern Mm -hmm. and that there is no redeeming it um, because it is predicated on a certain way of reading scripture that I think is a historical and terrible. Um, I think it's, it's predicated on shame and fear and that if you unpack, it's not about whether they're gonna let gay people in or ordain women or let gay people have sex or uh, support trans people, right? Because in the midst of all of that is still this idea that you have to believe in Jesus or you're going to hell. Um, you there you can only read scripture in one way. There's only one way to understand theology. Uh, And I don't find anything life-giving in evangelical theology. I do think, like Brian said, I have a lot of hope for people, but I think they got to leave these institutions. They need to stop giving them money. Um, They need to stop sitting in the pews and being counted on Sunday mornings. They need to stop. They need to learn how to read the Bible in a different and better way. Um, Because, you know, when we talk about the clobber passages, for instance, all of these conversations about the clobber passages are still set up to say that the way that evangelicals read scripture is the best way to read scripture. And it's just not, like that's just not true. Uh, And the ways that evangelicals read scripture is actually really new, right? Like this is not the most ancient ways that people read and understand and grappled with scripture. And so this idea that now it's the way um, I think is really, really harmful. And, and I think that, you know, you talked about there has been a softening towards gay folks, I think, because they know they've lost. They know that they've lost. The culture has changed. And so now what we're seeing is an anti-trans rhetoric that is so harmful and so damaging and so loud. Um, it's becoming a new political lobby. They are attacking the most vulnerable trans kids. So, like, I just, I don't even want them <laughs> to survive because, like, it's so much there's been so much harm done. Uh, But I do, with Brian, want to say that like the kingdom of God is here. It is among us. Like you are being invited to the table to like leave these toxic places and find wholeness and find life, um, deconstruct and find a better way of being. And and for me, that's where the hope is going to be found. Uh, It's not going to be found in reforming terrible traditions it's going to be found in burning them down and starting something new Um, and I think that that's there's so much hope there and there's so much excitement there and I'm so excited I'm I'm no longer excited about like trying to get access to evangelical churches, but I'm so excited about what we can build um, when we when we do better work and when we center the most marginalized and when we center justice and when we listen to queer and trans folks and when we listen to black folks, when we listen to women, when we listen to people from the global majority, like that's where the goodness is found. Um, and and that's where where real change is gonna happen.
1: Yeah. I really, I go back and forth. Obviously, my account is called the New Evangelicals. When I started <laughs> it, when I started it, even you know a little less than, a, I guess, well, at this time maybe a year ago, I, what started for me was Sean Foyd, the Let Us Worship guy. That that's what gave me the inspiration to start the New Evangelicals. Because I'm home from COVID, I'm watching Sean. I I do. I I do my best not not to use dehumanizing language to people that I really don't like. And Sean is one of those people I really have to wrestle with, like not calling him names because he's still made in God's image, right? But watching him on these, these, these Let Us Worship protests protesting that he can't worship in public without a mask while he does that with no problems and getting people all fired up about this i'm just sitting in my house one day like i'm just fuming right i'm just absolutely fucking fuming that this guy is taking off and people love him and it's a global freaking pandemic and our neighbors are dying and we don't want to wear a mask and so i'm out i'm on my porch i get all fresh air, and i'm like we need a, a new movement we need a new evangelical movement i'm like you know it's not a bad name. And like, like you said earlier, Brian, I think it was la- uh, two weeks ago, uh, or no, I, maybe it might, might have been this episode. You said, hey, is queer theology taken? I go, hey, is do evangelicals taken? It's not. Well, let me just grab them just in case, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And so, you know, and that's kind of how I birthed this. I typed up some, like, if I was just dreaming up some statements of A, B, C, and D, you know, what 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 would I actually want to say? And, and now I'm like a year into this, and... My eyes have been opened even more about the systemic abuse and the gatekeeping and the misogyny and and, and the intentional hiding of abusers. I mean, I'm not sure how tapped in you you guys are these days, but Mark Driscoll, uh, a well-known abuser, is still being platformed. My God, oh, he, was know. Platform, he was platformed <laughs> by Gateway Church like yeah. two months ago. I yeah. called him out and I wrote a letter to Gateway for crying out loud, you know, and they said, Thanks for your opinion. I'm like, oh my God. You know, so yeah. so I'm in these circles, I'm getting these DMs, I'm seeing the harm, like you both said, that that the institution is causing so many people, and they're so focused on damn CRT, you know, and, and imaginary, you know, boogeyman that, 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 that they are not interested in addressing this systemically. So I go back and forth because some days I'm like, I don't know, maybe like, you know, change is slow. Maybe we start from within and we kind of reform other days. I'm like, give me the Molotov cocktail. I will be the first person to throw this thing in there and just watch it freaking burn. Because like you said, Shay, the institution, not so much the people, but the institution and those in power are causing a lot of harm in the name of Jesus. And that's a problem because I like Jesus and I care about my faith. And it's a problem.
3: And so I think part of this stems from, for those of us who grew up evangelical, we were taught an idea about the way that our version of Christianity was which was it's a relationship, not a religion. And it's not like, it's not like Roman Catholicism. Like they have a Pope and like, they have all these like rules right? um, and it's like, but we're just sort of like organic and it's just Jesus. But like evangelicalism is like absolutely a religion not a relationship. There's a lot of rules that you have (laughs) to follow. And there are people in charge who like make strategic political decisions. And so I think that like when everyday folks talk about loving their evangelical church, like they're thinking about like their people, their friends, the experience of the divine that they have when they're in that church I don't know, like even some things that like maybe we would call problematic, but feel good in the moment. Like they go on a missions trip and like, they like feel like they're helping spread God's love. Right. Sure, like, sure. There's like some kernel of good intention there. Right. Right. That's what folks are thinking about. And so that's what folks I think like are saying, like, no, we can save this. Like it's worth saving. But like, we've been sort of told that Protestant Christianity, evangelical Christianity is like, non-hierarchical, um, and that like, sort of like we get to decide, but like, we don't actually get to decide. Yes. And when you stop going on like colonial missions trips, and when you stop believing (laughs) that you have to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and savior in order to get into heaven. And when you stop, like when you start people trusting people with their bodies, X, Y, Z, you like, when you stop reading the Bible in a certain way, you're still Christian, but you like actually cease to be what evangelical is anymore. And so I think like your, your local, you, not you, but like you listening, like your local church might or might not be able to be redeemed, but like in, in redeeming itself, it will cease to be evangelical anymore because the things that you want to redeem in it are like features, not flaws of evangelicalism. And Mm -hmm. so it's like sort of in order to redeem it, you have to let go of those like inherent central core pillars that stand in the way of God's mm. justice.
1: That's wise. It's good. It's good. Shay, do you want to add anything? I don't want to cut you off.
3: No, I think that's, okay. I agree with Brian.
1: <laughs> so as you know, I can rant, so I don't want to go on a rant, but no, I, I think that, that, that that's really wise, Brian. And I think that's kind of what I'm maybe realizing more and more is like, Oh, for this to be redeemed, it might cease to be the very thing that it, It thinks that it is because some of these core pillars, like you said, I mean, you're absolutely right when you said that, 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 that what, we preach right it's a relationship not religion there's freedom I and mean, we sing songs from bethel right there's freedom christ there's freedom in christ and then we give people like the craziest rules to do <laughs> anything yeah. in church you know like like you have to tithe you you must give to serve you know you know you, you must you, you can't curse to be on a team you can't drink too much alcohol like it's all of a sudden like all these rules are given it's like wait is this freedom or is this like slavery? You know, like is yeah. this some kind of emotional slavery? So I I I agree with you on that. It is I don't know. It's a real cluster. I do think that that this is what people in mass are waking up to, right? I think people are realizing that they're and let's assume positive, but let's say they are unintentional uh, for a lot of people, smoke and mirrors that they're realizing are actually intentional by a, a select few people. Yes. Um, and they're waking up for this. And I think, honestly, as much as I hate to say this, the rise of the more recent form of Christian nationalism, because it's always been there, and the rise of Trump being embraced by 80% of white evangelicals in a very twisted way is almost a gift That's the only way I can see this for it to be anything that is redemption worthy of the of the cluster that it's been. But I think it's been a gift in a sense of it's really shown a lot of people what is at the core of modern you know, conservative evangelicalism and the core is political power to the point where they will blatantly sell themselves out to even their own theology, right? They they will sell out their own theology. I was taught as a kid, right? Purity culture. You don't look at porn, don't look at yeah. naked women, you marry one wife or one, or one person for life, and then they, they elect someone like Trump who's on the cover of Playboy magazine, which which betrays their own core value. So I think that is maybe the only silver lining I can think about, you know, that that it has woken people up to the fact that maybe we're actually in a house of cards and maybe Trump is that wind that is collapsing it.
2: I want to say though, Trump was not an accident. Mm -hmm. Trump was the culmination of decades of political machinations by the evangelicals. Um, You know, when we, if you trace it back, right, the, the modern evangelical movement started in the 30s and 40s. Why did it start then? Because of racism, right? Like, this this has been baked in to the very fabric of evangelical theology and power from the very beginning. It's, and so I think that, like, again, when you're asking the question of, like, can it be redeemed? I also want to ask, like, what is it that we're redeeming? Like, is it this word? It, and do we really mm-hmm. want to fight for that? Is that enough? Um, are we are we saying that like I don't know, this the way the style of worship is the most important? Like right. this this right. institution, this structural power is like I, I really encourage folks to do some reading on the history of the church because I think once you once you get in there. You start to see like, oh shit, like none of this is an accident. None of this happened like, oh, whoops, he's now in charge or, oh, we weren't quite sure what was going to happen. Like, no, this was planned and this has been planned for years. Um, And people have used theology and I think a a specific type of theology that is based in fear and shame um, to get people to rally around these political things. Like you can't separate politics and really like conservative damaging politics from evangelicalism because that's where it was and what it was founded on um and so when we say that like christianity isn't political like yeah it's always been political and also some folks have been using that in a really damaging uh and terrifying ways for for decades
1: i could not agree more i often tell my followers that Trump is just the fruit of seeds that were sowed decades ago. You know, yeah, th- th- this absolutely. is not this is at this is not out of the blue. It's been documented. I mean, Kevin uh, Cruz, his book "One Nation Under God" is a great read on how capitalism and the church came together in the early '30s and '40s. Of course, we have Jerry Falwell. It's all been documented. It's all there. Yeah. You know, you know, people think that the, that the moral majority was started over abortion, when that's uh, of course not the case at all. It was over schools desegregating. That was what they was, it was yes. started over. So yeah. you're absolutely right, Shay. This stuff is baked in to To what evangelicals do especially especially modern evangelicals, I think you, you can make a case of like the Wesleyan uh, Wesleyan tradition you know early on in the eight, uh, late 1800s early 1900s who were evangelicals they were abolitionists, they were egalitarian they were pushing things forward but that was quickly overruled by the fundamentalist movement and here we are essentially so I feel young. I think
2: that's what's I think that's what's so complicated about the word evangelical right because we even have the Evangelical Lutheran Church which looks very different than the typical like what, what you would think of when you hear evangelical. And so I think it's yeah. it's also really important to to figure out like what is it that we're talking about when yeah. we're talking about wanting to save even or redeem evangelicalism like it, hmm. like what's behind that word? I think we yeah. have to be really careful to define it and to be very specific about what it is that we're talking about um because otherwise I think people will think they think it's a certain thing um, and that that it's not it's not in bed with all of these other things. And I think that's
3: that's not true. Yeah. And I get it's scary. Right. To think that, like, the only thing that I've ever known, my whole world, yeah. view, all of my friends, my family, my church, my like these are like, really beautiful, profound faith experiences that I've had that like I think of as being evangelical and I think of it as just like me and Jesus are like my friends in Jesus or like my pastor. Totally. He's, like, he's like such an inspired man of God to like realize that's like the scale is falling off your eyes to like realize that like, yeah. it's actually not just this like little like local church community or your non-denominational church or your church that's actually Southern Baptist, but it pretends to be non-denominational. Um, that that yeah, is elevation. Actually, like, part of this like very powerful establishment and, and it's, there's an institution. And so like, separating out like your positive faith experiences, like those can be redeemed. You can find power in those. Your church community, like those can be redeemed. Like the people that you love, like they can be redeemed. But like evangelicalism is also an institution. And I think we were told, we were all told that it's not an institution. Cause like Rome is the institution. Like that, that, that's the, the wrong type of Christianity. But evangelicalism is an institution and it's a harmful one. Um, and so like being able to separate out those two and it's it's really freaking scary and it feels a little bit like wandering in the wilderness and oh my god it's absolutely worth it because like I'm so glad that I that like my queerness caused me to question my evangelical Christian upbringing and then to leave it because the faith that I found in queer theology in liberation theology in womanist theology is like, it's, it reminds me of like the faith that I was promised in evangelicalism, but never actually got that. like yeah. That like God is alive and thriving mm. and powerful here. And you, I like thought that I was tapped into that in evangelicalism, but it mm. was just like a major chord progression, you know? And like, I've actually found like yeah. a deep well of faith, even though a lot of what I believe looks completely different now. Hmm.
2: Yeah. And I, I mean, I echo that and also say that I think for me, the integration of head and heart uh, of being able to bring all of my body and sexuality and skin and flaws and questions and brain and love of history, right? Like I could bring all of that and also can have this really deep heart connection with the divine. That was never possible for me. It had to be one or the mm-hmm. other. It, it was either, an emotional moment that I was having in worship, (laughs) the major chord progression where, where I had to like turn off my brain and pretend to not have questions and pretend that I wasn't attracted to who I was attracted to and pretend that I didn't know my body. Um, But when I like got out of that and realized, Oh no, you can be all of these things and you can have a faith that is smart and intellectual and intelligent and, deeply studied and deeply connected to history and connected to your heart and physical, like all of the things you can have, all of them. You don't have to choose. Um, that to me is like, that feels like resurrection to me. Like that feels Mm. like the kingdom of God here. And now that feels like the redemption of all things that I get to start being a part of now. And that's like, that's what I so desperately want for people and it's why i'm so angry at evangelicalism right it's why mm-hmm. i am so forceful about like no you got to get out because i've seen the beauty that's out yes. here and i want more people to have that i'm i'm not interested in in punishing evangelicals or a punitive thing like that's not what this is about this is like there's so much beauty and you're missing it and i just i just want you to have it yeah yeah salvation is
3: that. here yeah mm.
1: Wow. You know, when you, the way you you both talk and how you kind of drop these little like Bible references that I had in a different context. Now, in this context, I'm like, yes, I l- that makes a lot more sense. So you're giving me nuggets I got to chew on and like, you know, go digging on later on. So my, my last question, and again, I want to thank both of you publicly while we're on the air, so to speak, for, for giving so much time to this community and just being amazing humans. My last question to you both would be what would you tell someone who maybe is really early on in their own journey of maybe realizing that they're not maybe as straight as I thought that they were, right? Maybe like, hey, maybe because of my deconstruction I'm able to actually, you know, face some of these questions that I buried way deep inside or maybe I'm not sure how I feel about my own body, you know, that kind of stuff. What 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 is some advice, maybe some wisdom you might want to impart on them?
3: Get a journal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we recommend that for like literally everyone, but um, I think that like, I'll I'll give them the touchy feely advice and show you new more practical stuff, but, but I think right. get a journal and to be like gracious and kind with yourself and you don't have to figure it all out today or this week that like you've spent a whole lifetime being taught one thing, thinking of yourself in one way. And so it's going to take time to like, build some new neural pathways to imagine yourself mm. or your body or your gender or your sexuality or your spirituality in different ways. And you, we don't want to encourage you to get stuck and to stay put, but also to just be, so it's important to like take action and make movement, but also to to go as slow um, as you need to. And I'm sure she has some more insights as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, my first thing is God is not going to send you to hell. Um, mm, so like, the, the faster you can unhook from the fear of hell, yeah. the better, faster progress you will make. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing is I, I love to tell people, you know, God doesn't love you in spite of the fact that you're queer or trans. God loves you because of it. That your identity is God's gift to you and that you are God's gift to the church and the world. And so embracing that, um, holding all of that as good and holy, that all of your experiences, all of the things that got you to where you are, are, um, are part of, of making you who you are. Um, and it's all seen and loved by God and that you don't have to set any of that aside to, to be worthy or good that it's, you're loved just as you are and not in spite of anything that you bring to the table, but really in your fullness. Uh, and that's something that I just really want people to to hang on to and embrace.
1: Love that. So final, final, like uh, same kind of question, but now to guys like me, white, straight men, right? What would your advice be to people like me? Because I think that a lot of us are – um, subconsciously trained that once we dip our toes into something now we're new experts on it right and we and i'm uh we i am personally trying to do my best not to step into circles and become the new guru that's not the intent here right so what's your advice for people like me who are maybe interested we want to understand better we want to be better allies we want to be better just friends of, of people that we know personally and more knowledgeable about what we're stepping into when it comes to queer theology what's your advice to someone like me
3: I think that first part about like not stepping into it and then becoming the expert on it. And so like, as you learn, it's going to make sense that you want to talk about it with people and that people might come to you to ask questions. And so to make sure that like always be pointing them like directly to queer sources, like to queer books, to queer podcasts, to queer TED talks, um, to queer media, Um, so it's like, so that you're not filtering queer theology through your lens or like the queer experience through your lens, I think is an important part of it. Um, I think also just like the more exposure you can get. Um, so like, you know, watching, I don't know queer as folk (laughs) even it's like an old you know or watching you know more modern queer tv shows watching ted talks listening to podcasts like making an intentional effort to learn more reading books you know we have a a daily devotional 40-day daily devotional called queer is the word so like you have something to learn from that too so like get 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 our devotional and go through that um and to know that like there's not just like the like queer people, it's a big community and we're gonna disagree sometimes and we have lots of different perspectives on things. And so it's right. important to like, listen to a variety of sources and to be in relationship with a bunch of different people. And like, not to like, you know, I gotta go like make a queer friend, <laughs> um, but like, but a little bit of like putting yourself into places where you're gonna be around queer people where friendships can develop organically whether that's following people on Twitter and getting to them there or like going to places like in your real, in your real life, um, whether that's like, like an organization, like that's what you can volunteer at, or that's if they're hosting an informational light or a movie screening, just like seeking out places to learn and connect with folks, both like theological queer folks, but also like queer Jewish folks and queer Muslims and queer atheists also something important to teach folks. And so you don't just like pigeonhole yourself into right. like, like finding like queer Christians that like, are former evangelicals and still like love evangelicalism and right. like are gonna make you at least uncomfortable, <laughs> right, <laughs>
1: you know? right, right, right. Well, that's good.
3: Yeah, I think, I think um,
2: making sure that you're centering and platforming uh, queer and trans voices is really, really important. Um, that you really take the time to learn and that you're really clear about what you don't yet know. Um, and that you also share your sources as you're learning so that as you have new revelations, it's like, oh, I learned this thing from so-and-so, this queer and trans person. Um, I also want to say with pop culture too, it's really important to seek out work that is written and performed by queer and trans folks because both in pop culture and in evangelical or in religious writing, there's still been so often a filtering of our experiences told by people that are not us. Um, And that's really damaging. And so like seek out shows where trans actors play trans characters and that have trans writers, right? Like you might have to do some digging, but um, it's really important. Watch the disclosure documentary on Netflix. I think everyone, it's required viewing for all all people, frankly, Um, seek out voices and And I think as, as anyone who is possibly stepping into leadership, finding themselves accidentally in leadership, like whatever that looks like, uh, making sure that you're lifting up other people's voices. And then finally, I think it's, it's really, I think folks rush into leadership without Mm. sometimes taking the time to finish, not to finish because the work is never finished, but even to like, progress far on their own work um, and to say that like you might need to step down from public ministry from public leadership for like a couple of years as you unpack all of your stuff as you learn and listen from new sources and like there's no shame in that um, mm-hmm. and and if you feel like you can't do that there might be something there to investigate about uh, what need leadership is filling for you that you might need to work out with, a therapist or a spiritual leader. Um, Because I think that, like, part, part of what I love about thinking about the queer and trans movement, right, we are generations strong, and we stand upon one another's shoulders. And as new people come out, they don't have to do the same work, because there have been people that did the work beforehand. And I think, Sometimes there's this rush to like, I'm the only one who can do it. I I have to do this work. And it's really like, no, step back, let folks that have been doing it, um, bear that torch and then figure out how you can maybe in time, pick up the torch and keep it going.
1: Awesome. Well, Brian Shea, it's been a marathon. I feel like we're all BFFs now. So, <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> I really appreciate you making time to to do this this really long form podcast. I mean, I mean, listen. According to Joe Rogan, this is like just his warm up. So, I guess by <laughs> those you know? but really, I, it means a lot for you both to come on and to share uh, so much wisdom, so much um, insight about so many things. So, I really appreciate it. Where can people find you? Uh, QueerTheology.com? Anywhere else?
3: Yeah, queertheology.com. We're um, queer theology on Instagram. And then we're Q theology on Twitter and Facebook, like facebook.com slash theology. But you can also just search queer theology on both those platforms and um, we'll come up. We have um, a YouTube channel if you search queer theology. But uh, yeah, so all, all the places you can find us. Um, yeah, and we've and the got- Podcast
2: is on Spotify and Apple and wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, so you perfect. can find that it comes out every week
3: <laughs> great, yeah.
2: I'll and there's sure something I'm for here.
3: you wherever you are in the journey from newly coming out to out for a long time to wanting to be an ally, deconstructing you know, as, as deep or as shallow as you want to go leave that something for you
1: well, I'll make sure I link uh, com in the show notes so people can kind of find the gateway to everything they that, that, that yeah, totally. offer, so well again, thanks for doing it and uh, who knows, I'm sure life will bring us back around and we'll do it again, so would
3: we'll love, love to that.